Hello and welcome. This is On Mike with Jordan Rich, where the art of conversation is alive and well. Joining me today is a fascinating guy with very special listening skills. His name is Reverend Khalil Sakakini. He's an ordained animal chaplain and credentialed pet loss and bereavement counselor, one of only a few in the country. He's certified in Reiki, EFT, or Emotional Freedom Technique, and Animal Communication, which helps him a lot in his work with people and animals. Our animal friends became more important than ever during this recent pandemic, and the bonds we form with them are very special indeed. We're here to talk about it with a wise, sensitive, and caring man. So let's do it. Let's welcome Reverend Khalil Sekakini to join us on mic. My first question right off the bat is to explain how one becomes an ordained animal chaplain. Tell us about your journey to this point, Khalil. Yeah. For most of my life, I had been doing a lot of journalism work. I worked as a contributor to National Public Radio. Um, I was editor-in-chief of the Rob Report and just did a lot of external-oriented work. I covered the Middle East for lots of publications. Um I had always had a love for animals. I would say a very deep love, but into my life came a very special cat. His name was Cairo, K-Y-R-O. And, you know, we all love our animals as we love people. And in every situation, sometimes there is a big love, a love that sweeps you off your feet, that somehow is a tidal wave of affection and compassion. And that cat was that to me. He was my being. And it was a joyful experience. And we played, we laughed, he taught me so much. And when he passed, I was devastated. I didn't take it very well. I drank too much, I went off the rails, I bounced around from one thing to the other. Finally, I had a strong sense that in order for him to live through me, I only understand this now. I mean, I can articulate it now. I couldn't articulate it then, but it was a feeling. In order for him to live through me, for the love that he showed me and that we showed each other to continue beyond death, uh, because I do believe in life after life, that I needed to do something to manifest what he left me with and how he moved me. So I explored options, volunteered at animal shelters and so on. Eventually landed up at a school in the United Kingdom, which offered a course in pet grief counseling. I became certified there and did some work as a grief counselor, pet grief counselor. And then I found people asking me spiritual questions. Like, Khalil, while I meet my pet in heaven, do you think animals go to heaven? Do they have souls? The sobbing and the weeping and the pain of loss was so great, people really needed to affirm their faith that they would meet again. And I didn't have the background or the answers to that kind of question. So uh, I can't say this happened, that happened, but I gradually moved toward um, a theological institute in California, which was one of the only theological schools in the world, I think, it offered animal chaplaincy. So I took their program, it was rigorous, it was intense, and became both an ordained minister, and long story short, and an ordained animal chaplain. 
So it was a dual ordination, and there maybe are only 16 of us in the entire country who hold those credentials, mm-hmm. or credentialed animal chaplain, ordained animal chaplain, rather, credentialed pet grief and loss counselor, mm. pastor, and so on. It's interesting that uh, you, you mentioned right at the outset that it's the loss of some very important love in your life. And for people who don't have pets and think very lightly and loosely about this, they don't understand the impact that a living, breathing creature that is so much a part of your life, when that creature goes away, what it feels like. Um, is, that a, is that a conception you're trying to change? Yes, and it's not that difficult because, look, you know the writer Khalil Gibran, who wrote The Prophet. Of course. He has this great line in which he talks about love and and loss being co-joined emotions. He says if, 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 if love is waiting at your dinner table, then grief is waiting for you in your bed. So when people realize it, it isn't so much the loss of a pet or an animal companion that you love, it could be the loss of your job. It could be the loss of your relationship. It could be the loss of your health. It could be the loss of a friendship. It could be the loss of self-esteem. Once you drink from the fountain of loss, once you travel that grief journey, then you will, of course, see that among the big losses in life would be the loss of an animal companion. I tend to not use the word pet, but okay, it's it's a term we all use. So that then shocks people, you know, to realize when they think about it, how much that animal has been the angel of their better selves when they start to think about how their daily lives revolve around them. And when that's gone, then they understand grief is grief, loss is loss, and yes, this animal companion played as much, if not a greater part in their lives than family, friends, or relationships. You've mentioned the word journey uh, yes. more than once, and that's the title of your book, A Journey Through Pet Loss and Grief. Much like the human grief experience, which involves stages, is it similar in the case of animals? Oh, I like it's a great question. Um, people will ask that, they have somewhere in the back of their mind, Kula Ross's, you know, uh, stages of death and dying. I don't think I'm talking about that. I think the grief journey I'm talking about goes goes something like this. Grief is, is the body and mind and spirit's natural reaction to losing something that we love. You can get stuck there. Your anger, your guilt, your pain, your hurt, your loss, your sorrow can become constipated, frozen. Mm-hmm. And you can tip over into a depression and really suffer ill health. The journey then involves freeing those emotions by moving toward them, not away from them, befriending them, embracing them, not seeing them as hostile, and then transforming from those intense feelings into what I into what is called mourning. Mourning is the outward sign of grief. It could be a funeral, it could be a ceremony, it could be running a race, it could be crying, dancing, painting, laughing, journaling. And once that journey, that part of the journey is reached, in which you're outwardly expressing the inner pain and hurt, then you begin the transition from mourning into healing. But here's where people get stuck. They think, oh, we're moving on. No, 
You need closure. No, you're moving forward. You're not moving on. And nobody needs closure. So this journey consists of moving from grief through the emotions into mourning, mourning the loss, expressing it. And then from there to a, what I guess I call reconciliation, not a resolution, in which you learn to accept the finality of the death and incorporate that reality into your life, which then opens up your heart, makes you a more loving person, enables you to believe in your future ability to love and move again. Mm. Reverend Khalil, for many children, the first uh, experience of loss and grief involves an animal companion, a pet. I just love you to address how that works in terms of the process uh, that you're outlining and how you've helped children cope, because that's a problem a lot of parents have. Here's a beautiful question, man, just beautiful. I mean, it's funny you should ask that, because the New York Times had called a couple of weeks ago. They just did a big series on children and loss, and we were quoted in it. It was out last Monday. But they made a classic mistake, the reporter, the journalist, in saying, isn't the death of a pet to a child a dress rehearsal or preparation for death of a human being going forward? That was a terrible thing for somebody to ever think. I don't think she thought that. I think somebody asked her to ask that question. To a, a child, the death, the response to losing a pet, this, this child may have had that animal, let's say, the pet since she was two or three. The animal lives to be 16 or 17. That child is probably through high school almost, or well on the way to college, that animal has been a sibling, has been a brother or a sister, a constant companion. So at any given age, there is a different response to the death. In some cases, they kids won't show it. They want to know, where did he go? That's the key question. Where is she? Will I see her again? And it's so incumbent upon the parents to be honest in an age-sensitive and age-appropriate way. I mean, you don't say he's, it would put him or her to sleep. It's, you don't say he's in heaven with God. Or you, it, It's simply the body. Roger was sick. He couldn't breathe. His body wasn't working. He couldn't live anymore. And so wherever the child is, or wherever the family is, they have to approach that in their own unique way. From three years, three to five, it's different. From five to ten, it's different. Teenagers show it entirely differently. But the big mistake people make is to disenfranchise the grief of the child, to take it away. Like you've, got, you've got to be strong now, or... Roger wouldn't want you to cry, or come on now, big boys don't cry, or we'll get you another puppy, or, and that is denying the child's capacity and willingness and need to grieve. And just because it's not being shown in a way that we recognize, it doesn't mean it's not deep and not there. 
It's interesting. I love animals, and I know you do too. And this period of pandemic has pointed out the fact that animals have become even more important in the lives of humans over the last year and change. It makes me scratch my head, and I'm, I'm not making a judgment here, but when people say they don't believe in a soul, and certainly uh-huh. the, the soul of a, of a creature that is loving and, and loyal and part of your life, it just blows my mind. How do you counter that, uh, uh, that argument? Yeah, I mean, you know, what is it? The, the, the German philosopher Schiller said against stupidity, the gods themselves do battle in vain. <laughs> and sometimes I just walk away. Uh, you can't prevail against that kind of locked, enclosed mind. But I guess it depends upon your cultural background, your spiritual background. I, mean, I tend to believe, and obviously you tend to believe, that there is a sacred bond between us and animals, that they are given to us, as it were, by a divine spirit to teach us, because very simply they bring out the best in us, unlike people. They don't betray us, they don't deny us, uh, they don't put us down, they don't make us feel bad about ourselves. They're patient, they're compassionate, they're forgiving, they live with us. They teach us all the virtues and all the traits and all the qualities that unfortunately people don't. And so that's why their death is so much more acute, because the relationship is simply purer and simpler. So. If that isn't the manifestation of a spirit, if that isn't an example of a soul being fully expressed in an animal's body, and they are, as they say, the angels of our better selves, then it's really hard to... to, 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 to I can't change somebody's mind. Mm. It would be a fool's errand. I just say... And when you hose it, I think if you, if, if you have never loved an animal, then you haven't truly lived. So uh, mm. you take that as an article of faith? Or you don't like well, that. must be true uh, in this regard. People react when they hear about an animal that's abused or ah. mistreated. Yeah. They react much more broadly in terms of numbers than when they hear about, sadly, a human, a child even being abused. It, it seems to be at, at hitting a chord, and I think you put your finger on it, these creatures, these living, breathing, soul-possessing creatures do something for us that is so giving, and we, we feel we need to protect them. Many of us feel that way. Right. It, it, and you know, Jordan, two, two, two kind of side notes to that. It's kind of funny. Getting back briefly to the pandemic, I did a story in the fact that while it may seem a kind of egocentric centric point of view, many animals <clears throat> became anxious uh, at having their people home 24 hours a day. <laughs> they, did, they didn't like that. Yes. I mean, they have their own thing to do, right? Curl up, scratch, whatever they do. But feeling the need to be a companion, on guard, uh, observant of the, uh, of the human, human parent, it was like stressful. So many animals just just wanted to go back to pre-pandemic days where they had time by themselves. So <laughs> that was a fascinating discovery, which many people had trouble grasping because it affected their egos. Of course, and it's just like husbands and wives, you know. It's uh, 
cats and dogs and other animals uh, have feelings too. I want to, before we close out, talk with you about the procedure, how you work and how people can benefit. Obviously, they can read your book and they can check out your thoughts online, but how does it work when someone's dealing yeah. with grief? How do you uh, help them? Oh, it's really turns me inside out because they will either call or email and if you've ever stood in front of a broken heart, I mean, a totally distraught person, uh, it's just humbling. So I'm available to them immediately. I either will answer the email immediately or take the phone call and then begin to move toward a protocol, which is, please, I'd like you to look at the site first and see in the meantime, if there's anything there that can help you, give me your time zone, a phone number, a good time to talk. Please send me an email uh, explaining a little bit about what happened, your animal companion's name, what brought you to this point, and send me a photograph of you and your animal companion, your pet, together. In that photograph, I can see and feel an energy between the two of them that enables me to, in effect, communicate with their relationship. I studied animal communication for quite some time. I wasn't as good at it as my as my colleagues were, but decent at it. So through the email and then through the phone conversation, people will prefer to talk by phone and not by um, Zoom because I think they want to be private in their emotions visually, but totally open in their emotions by phone. So then we work. Usually two or three sessions is enough to give them hope, a feeling that while the pain will soften, the loss will be there forever. And the one thing they always are looking for is to know that death does not end the relationship, that death does not end the connection. And they have to engage in active mourning to keep that connection alive, and it's with them forever. That kind of love can never die. And they take the journey that, although painful, is also revelatory, isn't it? That journey, it, it opens up our emotions, and we get to deal with the, the emotion and offering a light, uh, hope that these spirits are alive and well somewhere. I love that. I have often thought that the brokenhearted are truly the ones who really only know how to love. Mm. As a, um, a widower at one point in my life, oh. uh, I, I and believe me, there are many who share, and I'm I'm happy in my life now. But I recall, I recall what that felt like, and I knew going in that it was it was a journey uh, because I I was prepared for it, but. It's interesting with a pet, often, or an animal companion, let me come back to that, oftentimes the lifespan is a lot shorter, and oftentimes uh, accidents occur that normally don't take the lives of humans. I'm talking about cars and trucks and things like that, and uh, quick illnesses and things. Good service that you're uh, you're working Thank with, you. and and finally, uh, animal rights. You're a proponent and a supporter. If you could wave a magic wand, or at least see some dreams come true in that area, what's the most pressing, or a couple of the most pressing points you'd like to shoot for? I would eliminate the animal farming industry, where billions and billions of animals—chickens, pigs, fish, cow—are slaughtered with a. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, 
one of the Beatles, I forget which one, said that if abattoirs had glass walls, anybody mm. would become a vegan. So I, I think this concept of speciesism, that we have the right to use animals to entertain us, the right to wear them, the right to experiment on them, the right to eat them, the right to claim ownership of them. That's not right. That's not right. Nobody gave us that power. And then we take it and we slaughter them and we eat them all because we want a steak or a pair of leather shoes. Or we conduct a $49 million experiment over and over again, forcing animals to drown or cutting open their brains. And there is no valid scientific evidence that can say that more than 2 to 3% of all of these experiments have ever resulted in a significant and substantial human cure. Even the whole vaccine, the COVID vaccine, was more a function of, of genetic splicing and work in that capacity than it was experimenting on animals. So that would be my magic wand to stop feeling that we have this un this total authority and control over the animals to use them for our pleasure. Well, I respect your opinion very much. Uh, it's a controversial issue in so yeah. many ways, but the idea of thinking and promoting life in any form uh, and freedom and justice is good. So good for you. And uh, for people who want to reach you, let's remind them of the website, if you would, Khalil. Sure. We're, we're at animaltalksinc.com. Again, animaltalksinc.com. It's a 501c3 nonprofit animal charity. We exist exclusively by way of donations. So anyone is inclined to go to the site, and I hope it comforts them or, or informs them, educates them in some way. If they'd like to make a donation, that's great. If they want to reach me personally, my email is on the website, so that shouldn't be very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm open to talking to people. Uh, money should never be a barrier between them and, and the need to, to talk about their loss and their love. Mm. Well, I'm very happy we were able to share your message. And uh, you're a cool guy, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, wish you the best. I'm honored. Thank you very much. God bless you. Take care of yourself. He's an extraordinary gentleman, the Reverend Khalil Sakakini, ordained animal chaplain and credentialed pet loss and bereavement counselor. You can find out more at his website, AnimalTalksInc.com. There's a lot of information there, AnimalTalksInc.com. I want to say thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast and, more importantly, for subscribing and downloading it, telling your friends our numbers are growing every single week as we reach out to interesting people from around the world and explore all aspects of the human condition because the art of conversation needs to be preserved, and we're doing our best to do that. Find out more about me and the pod find out more about the podcast and me at jordanrich.com. Many thanks to Dan Tebow of Fastwitch Media and to Ken Carberry at Chart Productions in Boston. Till next time, JR here saying as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.